Welcome back in everyone to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a great show in store for you today. Joining us today, we have the director Mia Van Leeuwen and the co-artistic director, producer, and adapter of today's show, Joseph Schrag. We'll be speaking today about Montreal's Scapegoat Carnival's presentation of Sapientia. It's playing at the International Puppet Fringe Festival, NYC, August 11th through the 13th at the Clemente Soto Velez Cultural Center. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting scapegoatcarnival.com. We always love a good puppet show coming on on our production. So why don't we go ahead and welcome our guests to tell us more about this. Mia, Joseph, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for having us. I hope I pronounced the name of your show correctly, Sapientia. Yes. Perfect. I, I'm intrigued to know more because this is a translated work and it's playing at a festival, a fringe festival that I never knew existed, the International Puppet Fringe Festival. This is fantastic. So I just want to jump in because I'm I'm intrigued. My interest is piqued. And Joseph, I'm going to start with you as the adapter and as the co-artistic director for this company. Can you tell us more about Sapientia? Well, it's a play written by Raswitha of Gandersheim, who was a 10th century canoness and considered the first known woman playwright, Western historian, poet, among other things. She exists kind of in the Norton anthology, sometimes as a curiosity, because people are like, oh, she was the first person who did all this. And her writing can be difficult because it's very Christian, at least I would say on the surface. And it has never really been produced, uh, especially not on a professional stage. So this is actually quite close to a translation from the Latin that I did with my partner, Lynn Kozak, who's a classics professor. And it's a play that's very difficult to stage. Her work is sometimes very difficult to stage. It can be incredibly violent and can depict miracles that when you read them you're like I can't imagine anyone doing this so I've given I mean years ago I, I read this article by Alexis Solosky about all the plays that she's never seen that she would like to see staged and she describes Sapientia especially this moment where a woman's breast is cut off but instead of blood milk flows as a miracle and I was just like wow what is that like theater of cruelty in the middle ages like it was just such a strange image. And at the time I saw one of Mia's shows in Montreal that used a lot of objects, but also fluids and milk and blood. And I thought maybe she might find this text interesting, even though it's so old and obscure. And so that was sort of the genesis. Wow. Mia, I want to bring you into the conversation now and ask what has it been like developing this work? Well, just to go back a little bit to the origin story, I guess, of how this production came to be, Joseph had his own reasons as to why he was interested in Rosvita of Gandersheim, again, this 10th century medievalist who nobody really knows that much about. I had learned a little bit about her in theater history at the University of Winnipeg, but I remember when she was introduced as this 
first female playwright, poetess, dramatist. We just quickly turned the next page and there was really no discussion and no in-depth discussion around this, this playwright, unlike Shakespeare, <laughs> you know, Marlowe, all these other big playwrights. There's just not a lot known about her, but I was always piqued and curious. So she was in my periphery. And when I met Joseph at this festival that we are referring in Montreal many years later, this is the Edgy Women Festival. I was there with a work based on a novella by Georges Bataille called uh, Le Mort, The Dead Man. And it was around that time after Joseph had seen the work that I was doing that he thought, hey, maybe this, <laughs> this the theater weirdo would you know, be interested in this script. And he was quite right indeed. And in fact, when he had mentioned Rosvita of Gandersheim and uh, the script, I was like, oh, this is... This is somebody who I've kind of carried with me as a figure that I've always been interested in because I knew that she was sort of unstageable, but but also kind of a prolific woman her time. So it was a bit of kismet, I think, that happened. And I right away said, yes, let's do this. And combining my background with objects and working with food and theater, the project began and really developed over a long period of time, starting in 2013 with some workshop productions, then did a production in Winnipeg. Then I came to Montreal and developed this version that we're presenting here, an earlier iteration, did another production in Lethbridge, and then another production again in Montreal. So it's it's had it's had a lot of life and a lot of work and a lot of thought and detail put into this project. And a lot of teacups. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. Joseph, I want to go back to you real quick and ask the question I think might be on a lot of people's mind. I mean, this play is is coming to the International Puppet Fringe Festival. So why puppets? Why tell the story with puppets? It's a funny thought experiment to imagine the story with real people because it's, I just can't imagine how it would be done. There's really, there's tortures that are followed by miracles. There's people with their flesh falling off who are laughing and dancing it's like you read it and you're just like how why is this written as a play you know and also just trying to imagine that kind of violence on stage would really not it's it, you just wouldn't do it you wouldn't make a film of it it's lurid to I mean maybe David Cronenberg could pull it off but it, it it's hard to imagine and so I think Mia's choice to do it with objects is very interesting because objects in a way they're alive and dead at the same time. They don't feel pain if we say they don't feel pain and it really mitigates and distances potentially very, our very squeamish, naturally very squeamish response to it. Interesting. Yeah. So if, if that wasn't clear, we are working with object theater, which is a bit it's of course related to puppetry and it shares the principles of puppetry, but we're working with found objects as characters that tell the story. So we have a flashlight, we have teacups, we have a mirror, we have an espresso pot and they are playing the characters of Sapientia. Interesting, wow, okay. So what can audiences expect when they, when they see the show? Mia, and I wanna ask you that. Well, I think a few things, if they do a little bit of homework beforehand, they are going to expect an experience of adapting and reframing 
this 10th century script in a contemporary retelling through objects. And so because of the work with objects, we have definitely pulled forward the humor that uh, we feel already exists in the script. So it's, 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 it's quite a grotesque romp, as it will, of this medieval martyr play. So there's a lot of humor that's definitely a part, but it's a very layered performance because we're able to, again, sort of break down all the stage actions of these tortures and these subsequent miracles, but you're seeing it all being done through the characters that I mentioned. And you're also within a, a bit of a kitchen setting as well. So it really supports the journey and where we end up at the end of the play, as, as, as viewers will see. So it's it's entertaining. It's a historical piece in terms of like having those interested in, in theater history to see that piece and a way to reframe these ancient texts into, into a contemporary context in this puppet festival. So it's 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 offering a lot, I would say, for viewers. It sounds really fascinating, I have to say. Mia, I want to start with you on this question. What is the thought or the message you're hoping the audience will take away from the show? Well, again, similar to my answer before, there's kind of a lot to take away. One is the experience, again, of a 10th century script and of Roswitha of Gandersheim. But also in terms of the story itself, I think it's really an opportunity for people to take away the implications of religious extremism and the division of ideology on the stage, but also in this kind of entertaining way. So it's it does offer all those things. Joseph, I don't know if you want to add to that in terms, I'm never really quite good because I think audiences are taking away so many different things from the theater because of our subjectivity in, in watching these things. But those are sort of three kind of areas that I think that will probably stick with people. Yeah, in the past doing it, people have been very interested in what is object theater and maybe have never seen a play done with found objects and the differences that that has from puppetry. And it's a look at a really weird period and play. And I think it it brings to mind questions about Christianity in a in a very provocative and interesting way. I love that. My final question for this first part is, who do you hope have access to Sapientia? And Joseph, I'm going to start with you on that. I, yeah, I read this question that you sent out beforehand, and I didn't have, I couldn't really think of a good answer other than probably people over 14, though in the past, some younger people have gotten into the show and have really liked it. Other people have said, oh, children are going to be fine with it, but I want to err on the side of caution and say, even with teacups and kitchen implements, it's still very, very graphic and lurid. And, oh, yeah, I think people who love horror films, body horror, I think will find it very, very funny. People who don't love horror or body horror should be advised. <laughs> Thank you for I, I, that, because I'm <laughs> one of those people that'll be like, what, who, what, oh. <laughs> And all the medievalists of New York, <laughs> we hope they come out for this show as well. I, I think it was really interesting to actually hear the artistic director of this puppet festival talk about how 
puppets and objects often get relegated to this idea that it's only for children audiences. And in fact, puppetry has such an interesting history and there's been all kinds of storytelling and approaches by using puppets. So I think we're an interesting addition in that way to the festival that we could use these, these items that you know will certainly summon up play and, and childhood to a certain degree, but with adult themes. So that's a really interesting, I think, combination. And I think to clarify for viewers that, yeah, I think if you don't watch a lot of puppetry or, or object work, there is more audiences that this kind of work is available to that's not just based on theater for young audiences. switch things up now for the second part of our interview and let our listeners get to know the two of you a little bit better and I want to start by asking you two what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows inspire you or are some of your favorites and Joseph why don't we start with you well I guess in a way it's an opportunity being talking to someone whose listenership is outside of Quebec to maybe talk about some of the inspiring work at home in in Montreal, Quebec. There's a really rich tradition of francophone writers and directors, and to name a couple, I would say Olivier Choignier, Etienne Lepage, Yannick Lafevre, and Marie Brossard. Some people have heard of Robert Lepage, and yeah, I these are especially as I get older and I live here, I, I'm really trying to pay more attention to to this work. And I find it, yeah, very inspiring. It's a funny mix of American and European and its own sensibility that grew out of a, a history being a very small minority in North America. That is really interesting. Mia, what about you? Um, yeah, I think on that note, also bringing in, I guess, the inspiration, even for this show, actually, for specifically the approach that I, I made to the show. I worked in Winnipeg many years ago with Grant Guy, who's a graduate of the National Theatre School, but comes from a design background. And he, in Winnipeg, started kind of like an avant-garde experimental company that worked with puppets and objects that he designed. And I was, you know, as a young up and coming theater person, I remember going to see his shows in these small spaces, spaces in the historic exchange district in Winnipeg. And I was just kind of blown away by kind of space he created, small theater spaces, working with these really like big texts like Antigone, but told through rocks. And, you know, he really had this amazing imagination to bring these classical texts, these meaty texts to life through such a different form of theater that I had never seen or been exposed to. I'd never seen object theater before. And he was the only one in the city doing it at the time. So when he invited me to join on a few productions in his company and train with them, I felt, again, very honored. But it really added to my own love of objects as transformative, important storytellers. So it's I, I'm really grateful. And I, I would not have done this show, I think, without obviously working in object theater and being trained with Grant Guy. So that's somebody I'd really like to highlight because I think he's done a lot of interesting work. He's now like an elder in, in the community and a mentor that uh, I think 
think many people are very grateful for, but you know, as people get older, we forget about them. So I want to make sure that Grant Guy certainly has, is remembered for all the great work that he's doing and is still continuing to do to this day. But another Canadian that maybe some of your audiences may have heard about who I just think is so exciting. She's a choreographer named Crystal Pite. Her work is quite international. I've only seen a couple of her pieces live, but one of my favorite pieces, which I did not see live, but I think is still available on the board's TV, is a piece called Betroffenheit. It's just a phenomenal work. Also uses some puppetry in that performance as well. And she, like myself, I think is one who likes to bring sort of a collage of ideas together. And I think she continually does that in such surprising and, and wonderful ways. And, and her movement vocabulary and the dancers that she works with, definitely very exciting and is, is a great inspiration to me. And so glad that uh, we have her as a Canadian. <laughs> Love that. Another wonderful list. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you too, have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? The last show that I saw that really kind of blew my mind was called Is God Is by Alicia Harris. That was done at the National Arts Center in Canada, a co-production with Necessary Angel Theater. This is a show that was very famous, I don't know, six years ago in New York and slowly made its way up north. So as a Canadian, I'm a little behind with, you know, the, the great plays, but it was just a wonderful, powerful script. Wonderful. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? And me, I'd love to start with you on that. I mean, really, especially just thinking about coming out of the pandemic and the time we've been in, being back in the room, the collaboration of uh, bodies and brains, making something out of nothing. I come from a sort of a creation devised background. So that magic, that alchemy that happens when you bring ideas into the room with other people is so exciting and, and always energizes me every time. With all the talk of AI <laughs> and everything that's been on our minds lately and how that's going to impact a lot of the sectors of, of what we do, I think being in live theater and the human touch of the work that we do is so important. And I feel like we might even have more importance and relevance despite and maybe because of AI and all the things that are happening. There might be a desire to return to more live experience in a, in a new way after the time that we've gone through and where we seemingly are headed. I don't know, maybe that's very optimistic of me. But I would like to think, because I know for myself, I'm really craving, uh, we did, we all did a lot of streaming during the pandemic and watched a lot of things. I love watching things and I love the mediums of film and, and television. Don't get me wrong, but I, I'm really missing and yearning that live experience and for more of that to be happening. So that's, that's the liveness, you know, that's sort of the bottom line for why I do the work that I do. I think you are nailing it exactly. I love that answer. Joseph, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Yeah, I don't feel like I have much to add, but when things go well, I feel like every play, if I seeing a show or working on a show or in rehearsal, there's always a moment of real acute feeling where I just find I can't think of anything else. I'm completely absorbed by the performer, a gesture, a word, an object, a lighting cue, a sound cue, something 
something I don't even know what's going to affect me. And that's really it. I find those moments are just so valuable. And I, I think it relates to what you're saying. There's something cognitive that happens when you're with the thing itself, when either a human or something material and you react to it in real time. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, we have now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and I can't wait to hear yours. And that is, what is your favorite theater memory? <laughs> I'll start. So I don't know if it's my favorite memory, but when you ask this question, it's the memory that came up. So I just want to like honor first thought, best thought. But it's actually, it's it was during a <laughs> a run of Sapentia in Winnipeg. And I had an attendee that was there who fainted during the performance. So it was, it, and, and it was not, I don't think because of the show, mind you, but I guess a combination of things, the show, we actually had real candlelight as part of it. It was a bit warm in the venue. And I was running the lights and sound independent theater. So I was, had a few different hats on in that show. And I had to like drag her body <laughs> with the usher. <laughs> Outside of the performance, we had to call. I had to run back and do the sound cue. There was there was just so many. It was just completely unforgettable. And the show managed to still run. But just considering the nature of the show and what the show was and having this real life moment happening concurrently with the show is something that I will never forget. And she was fine by the end of it all. And it all worked out. You know, it was all, you know, we got her water and she, you know, personally, I think she had a little bit too marijuana, too much marijuana to smoke before the performance is, is uh, what it ended up being resolved in the, in the end, but it was a moment and I will just never forget it. And, it, and luckily it was a moment that didn't completely go off the rails, but it was, there was a whole behind the scenes of dealing with this uh, person as part of that performance. So that's something I'll never forget. And I feel, I felt like it was a very, considering again, the, what the show was about, it, it, it was kind of its own little miracle in the background that was happening it was it was quite intense so that's 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 just one that came to mind that is amazing wow that is a total like tina face sitcom moment you know <laughs> so many things happening oh my and God. i managed to run all the sh like the cues and the timing of it like i think i got back to the booth like seconds before the next cue had to go and yeah anyway it was it was quite something can I, can I just share one quick memory and maybe we can use this one instead oh no like please better. absolutely but this is kind of going back to the performance that so this is a memory of me being a performer this was going back to the show Le Mort or Le Petit Mort the shortened version that we did in Montreal Little Death I had a lot of food items on my body by the end of the show. So I had grenadine and, and chocolate syrup and whatnot. And because there was no shower in the venue that we were presenting at, the stage manager, Gabrielle, would collect me after my performance, after I just died. And she would put me into this metal tub of a bath that she put together and, and helped me bathe at the end of each one of these performances. And I will never forget because the intensity of the show, the emotional arc that I go on as a performer, I have a death in the end. And then I met with this amazing stage manager who helped me go through this bathing process of getting all the, the food items off my body. So that is one of my own personal favorites of a theater memory of again sort of what happens behind the scenes but how it completes the performance you know that post 
or the prep that you do before a performance and then the post afterlife, that was probably the best afterlife of any performance that I've ever done was that bath. <laughs> I <laughs> love night. that. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty wonderful, actually. She was one of the best stage managers I've ever worked with. Yeah, stage manager. Shout out to stage managers. <laughs> well, Joseph, what is one of your favorite theater memories? I guess, and this may sound sort of generic uh, in contrast to Mia's, but my first collaboration with my co-artistic director, Alison Darcy, was a play that I wrote in my 20s that was sort of like a weird mashup of medievalism and sci-fi and just like I didn't know anything so it had like a million characters and special effects and you know and we and Allison who was actually at that point a successful actor and director agreed to to direct it at a little very eccentric kind of artist collective architectural firm quote unquote where they would mix cement and it was almost like a big loft and so we put in so much energy to build a stage curtains sew costumes and get everyone we knew involved like real professionals and real amateur real amateurs and people had no experience artisans musicians to have what in my mind was kind of like the medieval theater pageants, you know, where everyone was involved in these big, crazy extravaganzas. And that was our first show. And I think I'll, it really kind of marked me for how magical it was to step into a space that was so utterly transformed and so inclusive in a certain sense of, of a kind of poor theater and I think with Sapienza, there is the spirit of a kind of poor theater that that is going along with it as well. Oh, I love that as well. Oh, what great memories. Thank you both for sharing those. Well, do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Well, for myself, I'm working on a new piece, The Late Night Ghost Show, performed by a chorus of ghosts. So it's quite in early stages of development, but it will be something that I hope will be touring at some point. So that would be, uh, you had mentioned in the notes, I could certainly leave access to my uh, website, but that's coming up along with actually a production, a series that I'm producing in Canada called the Waking Death Arts and Culture Event Series. If any of your listeners happen to be in Canada, specifically Alberta, in September and October, I'm doing two months of curating different performances around the themes of death, dying, and grief through this festival called Waking Death Arts and Culture Event Series I'm a part of. So that's kind of a nice big, that's what I'm heading to right after New York. So that's what I have coming up and all of that information will be on my website. Very cool. Anything for you, Joseph? Yeah, our company is going to be in another festival in Montreal called Winterworks, where Allison is going to direct a piece that I wrote called Ricky, which is about a woman and her son who moved to the city after a kind of ruinous experience in the country. They face a bunch of increasing obstacles until uh, basically a kind of creature monster moves into their house. And so it's kind of like a absurd bordering on horror comedy 
play and it'll be at this festival in late January. Amazing. Oh, I love all these upcoming projects as well. And that is a great lead into my final question, which is if our listeners would like more information about Sapientia or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? For us, it's just scapegoatcarnival.com. You can get in touch with us that way through our website. And also the International Puppet Fringe Festival website. And they have a lot of posting on Instagram. So they're quite alive and thriving on social media. As for my own work, uh, you can also find me at miavanlewin.com and on Instagram at miastarvan. Well, Mia, Joseph, thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today about this amazing show and amazing festival. This has been so wonderful, so fascinating. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you both so much. Yeah, thank you for reaching out and wanting to talk with us. It's, it's quite lovely. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Oh, my pleasure. My guests today <laughs> have been the director, Mia Van Leeuwen, and the co-artistic director, producer, and adapter for the show, Joseph Schrag, who are part of Montreal Scapegoats Carnival presentation of Sapientia, playing at the International Puppet Fringe Festival, NYC, August 11th through the 13th at the Clemente Soto Velez cultural center you can get your tickets and more information by visiting scapegoatcarnival.com we also have some contact information for our guests that we'll be posting on our episode description as well as on our social media post but if you are looking for a truly fascinating show and a fascinating festival coming up August 11th through the 13th, check out the International Puppet Fringe Festival and make sure you especially see Sapientia. It is a truly fascinating sounding show. And you can get your tickets for that show by going to scapegoatcarnival.com. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hey,